The future is not a destination like Tasmania or the North Pole. The future is something like uh, the Great Western Railway or the Sydney Harbour Bridge that we imagine, plan and build. If we don't do it, other people will do it. So it's your job to make the future and I'm going to tell you about the future, my views of the future and share these views with you. And I can tell you about the future with confidence, not because of vision. Vision get you, gets you either psychiatric referral or sainthood, but in the wonderful words of William Gibson, the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. The president of Toyota said, Toyota is a knowledge industry. I thought it was a car business. It's a knowledge business. So if, if Toyota is a knowledge business, then surely healthcare is a knowledge business. We're in the knowledge business. I find it helps to think of a revolution. And this is a revolution. We're in the middle of a revolution. It's the third revolution in healthcare. The first revolution was a revolution based on epidemiology. This is the, the I'm sure you recognize the cholera map from Soho. Have you been to the pub in London? There's a pub called the John Snow somewhere about, uh, about here. And he didn't know what caused cholera, but he knew it was something in the water and not something in the air. Uh, Richard Dahl didn't know. Richard Dahl looked out the window in Gower Street, which is beside UCL, and he thought that he wondered, does the internal combustion engine cause lung cancer? This is going to go back to 1950s. But he didn't know what caused uh, lung cancer and tobacco smoke when he died. Then the, the second revolution, the last... 50 years, I've been 40 years graduated, we've seen the most amazing changes take place in healthcare. And these are the same, you know, th this was done by scientists, by, who, who are the engineers here? Yeah, this was done, this is engineering, you know, physics, chemistry. This was voted the, uh, the operation of the century. So this is heavy, heavy metal science here. Bench science, working with doctors. But remember, we also invented these things in the last 50 years. So the second healthcare revolution has been fantastic. But after 50 years of progress, every health service in the world still has these five problems at the top of the slide there. Problems of quality, of safety, waste of resources, health inequalities, and failure to prevent the preventable. Furthermore, in the 21st century, we have these challenges coming. Rising need and expectations, climate change. Climate change will affect some countries very quickly, very directly, and uh, it will affect every country. Healthcare in every country will be affected by climate change. Uh, so we need to think about these challenges, and it may well be that the carbon constraints are more important than the financial constraints. I speak a lot to clinicians, and if you were all the, the rheumatologists in England or in Europe, I'd be saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, there is no more money. In fact, there's probably going to be less money, and there's going to be a lot less carbon. The carbon footprint of healthcare has to fall by 80% from 1997 levels, and that means 90% from here. So you guys, I, I run a campaign for greener healthcare, and I'd love you to come up to our campaign. We need to think of the transformation of clinical practice. Uh, just mention the, the carbon. 
Uh, I didn't know we were going to have uh, engineers in the, the audience. It, even if we switched to renewable energy completely, we would still not achieve our target because most of the carbon is spent in travel, drugs and equipment. Um, so we have to change clinical practice and that requires technology and new pathways. So um, these people are now all honorary members of the campaign for greener healthcare. It's just two miles up the road, so it'll be good to, to meet you. Manuel Castells is Spanish. He wrote a big three-volume book called The Network Society. And The Network Society says that this, we're in the middle of a third industrial revolution. And the third industrial revolution is driven by these three forces. It's out of control of politicians and managers. Now, the third revolution has affected mostly banks and building societies and travel agents. It's just that we are too slow in the health service to make use of um, this and this. And we, we don't recognise the power of these people here. Um, even, in, even, of course, in England, we don't, we're not citizens. We are subjects. You know that, don't you? We're, you're only citizens in a republic. But, uh, so citizens, information and knowledge. And I'll speak a little bit about some of these issues and then we'll have some discussions. The, um, just to define the language I'm going to use, knowledge <coughs> is the sum of all that is known in the Oxford English Dictionary. And I find it helpful to think of two types of knowledge. General knowledge... Uh, which is generalizable wherever you are, in Spain, in England, in Africa, and particular knowledge. And three types of generalizable knowledge, knowledge from research, we call evidence, knowledge from the analysis of routinely collected data, we call stats, and knowledge from experience. The, the knowledge that actually is least well-organized now is knowledge from experience. Um, we're not seeing enough sharing of knowledge. So for the 21st century, what do we need to do? Very simple. Healthcare is very simple. We need to do the right things and every year do them better, safer, greener and cheaper. Okay? That's what we have to do. And I'm just launching a new project in the Department of Health and I've been given, I'm the workstream lead for doing the right things. Doing the right things. Not doing things right, we have to do it. Doing things better, but doing the right things. And most of what you're doing in the course here is about the right things to do, either as um, a clinician or manager or peer. So I'm going to just speak about four bits of uh, work that we're doing here that are relevant to knowledge. Number one, professionals and patients need clean, clear knowledge just as they need clean, clear water. In the 19th century, health was transformed by clean, clear water. In the 21st century, health will be transformed by clean, clear knowledge. Water may look clear, but be polluted and poisonous. This, this is the type of knowledge that most people have. You see, I'm, I'm using the metaphor now. I'm not going to say I'm talking about knowledge, but this is what most people in England still get their water, like, their knowledge like this. So what are we trying to do? Firstly, um, we can teach people critical appraisal skills. This is a little filter you can buy to filter out geodiasis, uh, giardia. Uh, but really, it's much better to give people clean, clear water. And the way we give people clean, clear water is we start off by collecting it in reservoirs. And this is the reservoir from my home city of Glasgow. Why, why do we have reservoirs? What's the function of a reservoir? Engineers, 
Why do we have reservoirs? Store water. To store water and? Treat water. Yes, so how is it treated in a reservoir? That's it. The rubbish sinks to the bottom. So if a sheep dies here, it rolls in. And that's why people do not need the latest evidence. John Ionity showed a third of all randomized trials are invalidated. Is that right, Paul? Within a year of 14 out of 47 or something, randomized trials were, in, were weakened or proved wrong within a year because of publication bias. I'm sure you're studying publication bias. So we gather the evidence, and then we, the next stage is to filter it. Filtering is like Cochrane Reviews. Systematically, <coughs> is a form of filtering. You uh, take the rubbish out, and you can examine the rubbish, but it's there. And then we, we send... This is, this is what I think the internet looks like. There's big pipes up in the sky somewhere. I mean, that must be how it works. You know, the knowledge flows through these pipes and gets into smaller pipes. So, but the, the, the big issue is... The, the water, the knowledge can get to the door of the hospital or the health centre, but how does, how does knowledge appear, how does water appear on the fourth floor of a hospital? Well, they, this is not for the engineers, they know all about this. Non-engineers, how does water come out of a tap on the fourth floor of a hospital? What one word is coming to your mind about this? Pressure. So we've, we've introduced something called the Chief Knowledge Officer. In every healthcare organisation, we've said there should be someone at the board level who's responsible for knowledge. And I'm the Chief Knowledge Officer for the NHS. I was given the job with no resources apart from authority. So you need someone on the board of every healthcare organisation who's responsible. For Ian Chalmers once said, who's responsible for pressing the watch new button in the Cochrane library and saying to the chief exec here's three things we should start and two things we should stop the answer is nobody, everywhere you look it's just so everywhere, the knowledge is everywhere it's on the internet, it's in the library you need to manage knowledge like you manage money and water so we now have oh, about 60% of all our healthcare organisations have someone who says I'm the chief knowledge officer the first thing you do of course a chief knowledge officer is you say well I need support, I need a librarian and they say, oh, we don't, you know, we don't have any money for a librarian. You say, well, close the library at 3 o'clock. You, know, you don't want a librarians in libraries. Not more than half a day anyway. You know, I need the librarian here. Planning the guidelines or on the ward or in the boardroom. So the chief knowledge officer is uh, a role. It's a, it's a responsibility, not a job. Again, this is a phrase I use often. Ignorance is like cholera. It cannot be controlled by the individual alone. It requires the organised efforts of society. And this, this, of course, is the definition of public health services. The organised efforts of society. Okay, so that's the, the first point. Now, here's the second way of, of getting knowledge into, into operation. Why is it, I ask uh, my colleagues uh, who are in senior positions... Why is it we know to the nearest pound how much we spend on the health centre in Bowman Street or the Oxford Hospital and not to the nearest hundred million how much we spend on heart failure or depression or rheumatoid arthritis? And what business are we in? Are we in the business of running buildings 
or we're in the business of dealing with headache and rheumatoid arthritis and bronchitis? And the answer, of course, is core business are health problems like presentations and conditions. No country I know has any idea. I believe some bits of Spain have got program budgeting. We now have program budgeting, but, um, for example, I know we spent four billion pounds on respiratory disease, plus or minus 300 million. Um, but when you actually say, well, how much was spent on asthma and how much was spent on chronic bronchitis, then we've still got a, a budget saying two billion pounds other. We have no idea how much was spent on sleep apnea or, <coughs> and no other country. No, no one is doing But the next stage is to create program budgets and then create systems. Now, these are three words which are the words of the 21st century. The 20th century was the century of the doctor and the hospital. The 21st century is the century of the patient and the system. And a system is a set of activities with a common set of objectives. And you people, of course, in engineering will be very familiar with systems. And a network is a set of organisation individuals who deliver the system. And a pathway, the route that most patients follow through the network. Systems, networks, pathways. Knowledge, systems, networks, pathways. That's what we're... I mean, I know you're doing lots of numbers in evidence-based medicine, but it's really language, it's words that change things. So, here's an example of a system. This was developed by Alison Streetley, and she got involved in a problem with what's called blood spot screening, a spot of blood taken from the heel of a newborn. And there was a, a mix-up. And she said, look, this is chaos. Most of healthcare is Brownian motion. The random movement of patients, clinicians, and samples. And it took her maybe five years to do this. Sickle cell disease, very complicated. Lots of different ethnic groups, different carrier states, very complex. But they're objectives, criteria, standards. So we now know what we're trying to do and we can now measure progress or the lack of it and compare it with standards. Here's a pathway, and this is software called the Map of Medicine. And this is very simple. This is a, a breast cancer assessment, and we give this to women so that women can find out their pathway. Now, if you're a breast cancer specialist, you don't need this. Um, if you drive from Oxford to Banbury every day, you don't need the map of Oxford to Banbury. But if you're driving to Exeter for the first time, or you haven't driven to Exeter for some time, or if there might be roadworks or something new has happened, you need a map. And this is called the Map of Medicine. This is software that was developed, and I was involved in its, uh, from its earliest days in funding it, because it just seemed to me this is something um, very powerful. And you can start to put in here, there's links in here to Cochrane Reviews, you can start to put in things here like, like telephone numbers of clinics and a whole variety of, of local stuff. But it's technology. It's very simple sort of thing. Now, I mentioned networking. And you see, the, the, the 20th century was the century of the, of the bureaucracy and the hierarchy. The 21st century is the century of the network. And... Um, this is a nice, uh, this is a very important book actually, Clayton Christensen's book. And he's written mostly about engineering and the, the innovator's dilemma, which you may know 
Um, the subtitle of the Innovator's Dilemma is When New Technologies Cause Great Companies to Fail. For example, uh, DEC said, oh, personal computers are a sort of passing fad. Um, doesn't exist anymore. When hydraulic pumps come in, a number of earth digging companies said, well, hydraulics, what's that? You know, we'll use them to drive the, the wires a bit faster. Don't exist anymore. Now, he's written this very interesting book with two doctors called The Innovator's Prescription. And networks, it's people working together who trust one another. And of course, with the internet that uh, has really created, made it much easier to work in networks. But networks exist long before the internet. And we need to think of ways in which we use networking. You see, it's, uh, it offers an alternative to either markets or hierarchies. Transactions. Transactions are coordinated and controlled on a mutually agreed basis. This is a very good uh, definition. This is one of the classic books on, on organization. We can give you all these uh, references and things. So, in the 20th century, we did this. In the 21st century, we've moved to this. Um, it's not hub and spoke. We're not letting the teaching hospital say, well, we're the centre. Centre. I think now, actually, uh, um, I've said this to Paul, that if I were creating, I was in the position I was in many years ago with the evidence-based medicine, I would not have called it the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine. I'd have called it the Evidence-Based Medicine Programme at Oxford. Just, just at Oxford. So it could be at Barcelona or it could be you know, for Spain or it could be... You know, just, it's, uh, the language very important. Uh, neither is it uh, a market, nor is it one blob taking over the others. You see the... Um, the you see, you, ha you have to have hierarchies, bureaucracies to manage money and employ people. But hierarchies can't solve complex problems. Only this can solve complex problems. Supposing I was discussing today, let's say epilepsy in London. Uh, my guess is we spend about £250 million on epilepsy in London. No one's got any idea what's happening. Um, so how would, you, how would you make epilepsy care better? One way is to say, well, well, you know, we'll get the chief executives and they'll tell the people under them and they'll tell them. It doesn't work. Too complicated, too complex. These are what's called complex adaptive systems. So what we do, you want to do is get all the people with epilepsy and their parents and people like teachers of learning disabled children together because half of learning disabled children have epilepsy and you get neurologists and GPs and you say, OK, let's spend a day just talking about epilepsy and... You know, what are the problems and what we're going to do about it? And solutions will emerge. Not through command and control, but through networks. And you see, these people, someone said to me, well, what do you need to create a network of, for uh, rheumatoid arthritis in London and the north of London? I said, you need, you need to have a professor of neurology who believes that he or she is no more important than um, a pharmacist in in Welling Garden City, or a GP in Camden, or a patient in Islington. See, if the patient doesn't take the medicine, the patient is at least as important as the professor. It's just a different type of importance. And this, is, this is revolutionary stuff, of course. Networks are revolutionary. It's different from that. 
And just this uh, issue of creativity, this is a very, very good book called The Knowledge Creating Company that I think, uh, particularly the engineers, if you're going into innovation, um, it's how the Japanese industry creates new things. It creates networks cutting across organisations. It's got a very firm bureaucracy, but it, it creates these networks. That's how the bread-making machine was developed, or the, or the Prius, or the Lexus. You know, these are... You, you can encourage creativity by bringing together these networks. You make them what they call hypertext high organisations. OK, now, the third thing, the patient, the citizen. Now, imagine I've got familial hypercholesterolemia. This is the way it will be. I get reminders by my phone. Why is it someone said that my hairdresser can send me reminders but not the NHS? Very good question. And then... The lab result comes to me. I, I managed to slip this into our recent review. And so the lab result comes to me, something like this. And um, here's an example of what the lab result will look like. And it says uh, <coughs> cholesterol unchanged. It says, uh, look, this last test was only done 12 months ago. If you or your doctor send another test, we're going to chuck it out. And it says here, you see... The first test is increase the amount you walk. Try to walk an extra 30 minutes a day. To find a big dog, <laughs> click here. And uh, <laughs> you see, the, the lab's got my postcode. The lab's got Google. And this is, uh, this is, um, la this is in, in Abingdon. That's in Abingdon. That's six miles from here. Very simple, isn't it? Does it happen? Not at all. Um, you see, 150 million lab reports are sent out, usually on paper or on electronically, to, to G GPs. So then I've got to you know, drive to the health centre or take a morning off work or phone up or something. <coughs> uh, of course, there's an interesting with doctors. Many doctors immediately say, well, I can think of a patient who doesn't want it that way. OK, well, I can think of 30 million who do. So let's start with the 30 million who do, another 20 million, you know, then you'll have to phone them up or write them or do something. But uh, that would probably save you know, 30 million visits to the, the doctor um, every year. 600 million prescriptions, same thing. Now here's uh, patients. This is something I helped a young doctor start, which has um, proved very interesting, very controversial. I want great care. And it's very simple. It's providing ratings on feedback on on services. And we started off with giving ratings on doctors, um, which the BMA didn't like, but uh, you rate, everything's rated these days. You know, there's, a, there's an article in the Atlantic Monthly, if it moves, rate it. You know, in America, kids are rating the school teacher and the university. Like you, you, some of you may be rating me at the moment. Are you? And you're, uh, um, but increasingly, we're turning this into what's called co-production. That... Um, if patients are having their time wasted, surely professionals are wasting their time. My wife uh, went to pick up some from hospital. It took her about four hours to take them home and get a prescription. Well, it wasn't only her time was being wasted. You know, it was just, but most of the clinicians say, oh, well, it's always like this. You know, no, no, we can't do it that way. She said, well, can't you, why can't you write a prescription? Oh, it's not possible. You know. um, so the idea... I've, I've now started to think a lot more about citizens. A good, a good experience for patients is, is not only an end, it's a means. It's crowdsourcing is the jargon. One of the very clever young people who I work with in this 
he said to me, oh, crowdsourcing, that's a very 2009 concept. Um, what's it, uh, what's that thing, uh, um, uh, Innocentive, is it, the innovation website, you know, innovation competitions and getting these sort of things, uh, people putting sort of problems up on the web for other people to solve, either with rewards or without rewards. Um, there's a lot of brain power out there doing these sort of things. And of course, Amanda's Thinkwell idea is very similar. Okay, now the last thing, effectiveness and cost-effectiveness are 20th century concepts which are equally valid, but in the 21st century, we need to think of values. And this is my very simple um, model, which stands stood quite well over 10 years when speaking to clinicians, for example. There's the evidence, the clinical condition of this patient, and the values of this patient. And... Um, and this is what, um, what uh, Peter Rothwell calls personalised medicine here, how do you relate that? And decision support, of course, tries to do this. Um, not very well, but increasingly we'll see decision support systems trying to relate the evidence to my particular clinical situation. So that's a, a computerised decision support system. And then when we think of populations, it's a similar model. So the evidence about breast cancer screening is the same in Hong Kong as in England, but because breast cancer is much less common in Hong Kong, they decided not to implement breast cancer screening. I think they have now because of a value decision. Uh, and it's very important to remember that politicians can make any decision they want. Values trump evidence in a democracy. You as officials, as you will be, namely people paid to give advice, you've got to live with that. And you have to know what your point of resignation is. But the, the minister, when I dealt with screening, if the minister wanted to introduce prostate cancer screening against my, well, my advice was don't do it, but politicians, if they felt, well, men are very concerned about this and they feel it makes it less anxious and they meet lots of men who've had a PSA test and are still alive, therefore it must work, and I haven't persuaded them, then it's... Uh, Values trump evidence. You just have to decide whether you can live with it or not. Values trump evidence. The very good writing about this is a book by Mark Moore called Creating Public Value. Not about healthcare, um, about how we do these things. And finally, just to, uh, this is the, uh, the charity I run called the Campaign for Greener Healthcare. And uh, I'm hoping that many of you will come and, uh, and uh, work with me. Certainly, I'd love to see the engineers and talk about the sort of problems we're, we're facing. But these problems are going to be... we finish with a... Just to say a word about sustainability, because climate change is the major challenge that health faces in the 21st century. And sustainable healthcare equals sustainable estates and facilities plus sustainable clinical practice. And clinical practice in the 21st century will have four features. Every clinician will be involved in prevention because prevention is the best thing to do for preventing, reducing the carbon footprint of healthcare. Secondly, patient-centred care. Put the patient at the centre of everything. Not for moral reasons, but for practical reasons. Thirdly, lean pathways. There are millions of follow-up visits for which there's no evidence. So let's rip those out, um, reduce the pathway. And fourthly, avenging one of low-carbon treatment options. Um, online psychotherapy as opposed to drugs. Uh, so we'll see health technology in future. We'll have to assess the carbon footprint of technology 
as well as the financial cost. And uh, I've been to discuss that with you guys as you're starting to think about both the direct carbon costs of what you're designing and the indirect carbon costs or the indirect carbon savings of the number of visits reduced. My friends, the Director of Public Health in, um, in North Yorkshire, which is a very big patch of England, and the NHS staff, never mind the patients, drove 16 million miles last year in, in one out of 152 primary care trusts. That's a lot of carbon. Uh, so we have to find solutions to that. So that's uh, uh, the future. The, um, these are the four principles about knowledge. There's lots of other things to think about. For example, how do you develop payment systems that encourage good behaviour? Because the payment system we've got at the moment encourages bad behaviour, namely more hospital admissions. And um, these are four ideas for managing knowledge. I'd like you to turn to your neighbour. Remember, I've only spoken about a part of the future, primarily concerned with knowledge and sustainability. I'd like to say, reflect on what I've been saying and come up with other ideas about how the 21st century healthcare will be different from 20th century, and we'll take some feedback. Okay, so two minutes to discuss this with someone else, and then we'll have 10 minutes to take feedback. Okay, starting now. Put, can you put the lights up, please? <laughs>